Good afternoon. Take a good look at this man. We'll be talking about him today. Good afternoon. Today is Tuesday. It's 12.15 p.m. Time for another session of Lunch and Learn. Today is Lunch and Learn number 98. And we're getting ready to begin a session of Torah study. Always something interesting, another topic, another idea. Looking at it from a Torah perspective. We'll begin momentarily. We'll begin with a blessing over a cup of water. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Malach HaOlam Sha'akol Niyabidvarek Hello Jody, hello Roy. We're back here for our weekly session of studying Torah together. Everybody is welcome to join this. It's in English with an English source sheet to follow along. And every week we cover another topic. Today's topic is a bit different than usual. It's never good to have um, too much of something. So we always like to change things around. Think today is a little bit different. Today is a little bit is more personal for me. Um, hello, Judy. Welcome. You should have received the source sheet in your email. Otherwise, you can download it here from the link. As we get ready to begin, as I mentioned, today's topic is very personal to me. Um, it is somewhat of a celebration of an achievement. For the past three years, I've been studying every day a certain set of books. One of the books written by the Rambam, Maimonides, uh, along with not just myself studying it. Many people studied along with me. A uh, yearly cycle for me it was three years. And we recently concluded it just a few days ago, actually last Thursday. And today we will learn about this special man who authored this book known as Maimonides or Rambam, we'll learn about his life, we'll learn about the books or some of the books that he wrote, we'll learn about why I chose to learn it and why it's a reason for celebration and along the way we'll learn all kinds of interesting Jewish uh, ideas and explanation of different customs. For example, why do we eat shalent on Shabbos? Shalent is that hot food with potatoes and maybe some meat or beans. Why do we eat shalent on Shabbos? We'll learn about that, so we'll touch upon that and some other interesting uh, Jewish teachings and customs. Hello Igor, hello Amy, hello Stan, hello Rais. Nice to see everybody locking on as we get ready to begin. Once again, I'm just going to show you the, the picture if you missed it. Here is a picture of the man with his signature. This is Maimonides or it's said to be a picture of him. The question is if it's actually accurate. But this is his handwriting. We'll talk about uh, his handwriting uh, and some of the, the manuscripts a little later. We are getting ready to begin a lesson all about this great man, his, his, uh, <clears throat> his writings, and how this is all relevant to us. We've got to live with the times. We've got to live with what we learn, not just learn, but live it. Um, hello, Neil. Okay, so you should have your source sheet. It'll be easier to follow along. You can print it out once again from your email. If you didn't receive it in your email, you can click on the link of this post and 
download it or print it out so we can follow along. We're going to be learning about Maimonides. Why was he called Maimonides? His actual name was Moshe, Moses. Moses Maimonides. We'll, talk, we'll, we'll call him Rambam, as he is known by many who study his books. Rambam in Hebrew is an abbreviation for Rabbi or Rabbeinu, our teacher. Uh, Ram, the, the M, the M is for Moshe, Moses, Ben Maimun. His father was Maimun, and therefore he is known as Maimonides, as his father's name was Maimun. We're going to call him Ma Rambam, Rabbi Moshe Ben Maimun, in short, Rambam. We're learning about Rambam. Rambam lived in the 12th century. Uh, there is a little bit of a debate exactly what year he was born, but let's say about the year 1135 or 1138, somewhere in that, uh, that century is when he was born, in the 1130s, and he passed in 1204, the beginning of the 13th century in 1204. That is, where, uh, that is the, the point in time where Maimonides lived. There are, he, he is a very famous, probably the most famous Jewish uh, teacher and philosopher and an author, a uh, physician, we'll talk about some of uh, his life. The Rambam uh, has many schools named after him. In Boston, there's a famous uh, school, Maimonides Day School. There are other schools that are named after him. There are hospitals named after him in Israel, in Haifa, as well as here in Brooklyn, the Maimonides Medical Center named after uh, the Rambam. And he's known uh, worldwide He's internationally known, Maimonides. He was a Jewish man, a rabbi, and uh, we're going to take a look at source number one to begin our lesson today, and this will take us uh, 60 minutes or so. Feel free to comment along the way, and we'll get to them at the end. For We'll have time for comments and questions. Uh, if you're with me, if you're following along, you can just say yes or hello or a thumbs up. So we can uh, get moving here. Okay. Hi, uh, Chuck. Nice to see you back. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Okay, so source number one is a quote which is written on the, near the tombstone of Rambam, of Maimonides. The Rambam is buried in Tiberias, in Tiberia, in Israel, in the north of Israel. It's a city on the, on the Kinneret, the Sea of the Galil. And there was an ancient cemetery there, and the Rambam, as well as his father, are buried there. And near his graves, near his uh, tombstone, hi Jack, thank you, Jody, has the following inscription. Source number one, from Moshe till Moshe, no one arose like Moshe. Referring to Maimonides, that from the times of Moshe, from Moshe, Moses, our teacher, the first Moshe, the first leader of the Jewish people, until Moshe, the Rambam, no one arose like Moshe. They didn't just share the same name, but they obviously shared something else in common. There were about 50 generations from the biblical Moshe until the Rambam. During these times, the Jewish people had many great prophets, judges, kings, high priests, sages of Mishnah, sages of Talmud. And yet, this statement is not recorded for any one of them. There was something about Rambam that rendered him equivalent to the original Moshe in ways that were entirely unprecedented. There was obviously something very unique about the Rambam uh, and compared 
becoming equivalent in some ways, of course, not always, but in some ways to the original Moses, the original Moshe, and it is proudly displayed at the uh, near his tombstone, a, a uh, engravement from Moses to Moses. Nobody stood up like Moses. Nobody arose like Moses. So we have to understand why. What is so special about this man? I mean, there were great leaders, and there were. 2,500 years from Moshe's passing the first Moses until the Rambam. It was 22,500 years of Jewish history and King David, King Psalm, there were such great people. What is so unique about Maimonides, about Moses, Maimonides, about the Rambam, that at, on him, the statement was said by great sages, of course, from Moses to Moses, no one arose like Moses. We're going to look at uh, in our first section, a little bit of his life. We'll move on to the second section of, of his works and how, what are, how it's relevant to us. And moving on, let's just give a brief uh, description of his life before we look at his actual letter, one of his letters that he wrote himself. So Maimonides, as we mentioned, was born in the 1130s. His, his family lived in Cordova or Cordoba in Spain <clears throat> during the 12th century. He grew up with his father Maimon being his primary teacher. He had one brother, his name was David, and two sisters. And he was a uh, great student studying from his father um, Torah as well as other wisdoms as we see clearly in his books. When he was about 13 years old, the Almohads, who were a uh, Muslim group, very uh, extreme, extremist, fundamentalists, who came to Cordova in Spain, as well as uh, that area, and being uh, very fanatical, they demanded the conversion of Christians, as well as Jewish people, to their, um, to, you know, to their religion. And the Rambam and his family, his father and many other Jews had to either uh, face the sword or escape. And that is what uh, Rambam's family did. They wandered for about 10 years all over Spain, eventually settling with a group of refugees in Morocco in a city called Fez. They were there for about five years. This is the Rambam's already in his 20s. Uh, after about five years, there too became... Um, religious persecution and it was not safe uh, for them to continue living there. They moved to Israel for a short period, for about six months, but at that time the Israel was under the, the Christian, the, the Crusaders, and there were not many Jewish people, there, were no, there was no um, proper organization of the Jewish uh, settlement there, and they moved on to Egypt after a short time, I think about six months or so, they moved to Egypt, first living in Alexandria in Egypt, eventually settling in Fustat, which is uh, Old Cairo, and that is where the Rambam Maimonides lived for the rest of his life until his passing in 1204. Now during that time, uh, the Rambam, when coming to Egypt, already became very famous worldwide, uh, uh, known for his writings. He composed, even as from a young age, at age 30 he already completed a, a commentary on the Mishnah on, uh, we'll talk, uh, um, and then other letters that he would send to encourage his brothers in Yemen and other um, countries in, in Northern Africa and Spain to encouraging them during the hard times 
physically and spiritually, and he became um, a leader for Jewish people in Egypt and, and uh, all over the place. He became very widely known, and he was supported by his brother David, David, who was also a scholar, and a, um, as well as a merchant. He was a diamond merchant, he dealt with jewels, and he would travel and do business and support his brother and have his brother sit and, and compose and author books, uh, important Torah works, while he supported him. But at one point, his brother on a trip to India in the Indian oceans drowned, as well as m much of the, the family's uh, possessions, you know, money that they, inv they invested with him. And Maimonides needed to find a source of income for his family. And Rambam then became a physician and became very famous. And the Sultan, then in Egypt, in Cairo, the Sultan Saladin hired Maimonides as his personal physician. The Rambam became very busy. Lots of patients flocked to him, in addition to leading the Jewish community there. And in a letter, here we're going to look at in source number two and three, we're going to look at a letter that Maimonides penned. It's a translation from, uh, from a letter that he penned to a translator. You see, uh, most of Maimonides' works were written in Arabic, or Old Arabic, which was the spoken tongue at the time. He had a family, I'm not sure where they lived, but maybe in Italy, who are the Ibn Tibun family, who were great translators, who translated the Rambam's works from Arabic to Hebrew, and they had this correspondence going on, and I believe his name was Yehuda or Shemuel, Ibn Tibun wanted to come visit Maimonides in Egypt. He's translating his works all the time from Arabic to Hebrew, and he wanted to visit him. And the Rambam responds to him with this original letter. Here we go, source number two. That's just a little background of the Rambam's life. By the way, Maimonides was a descendant of King David. He had a very uh, great lineage. Okay, so here we go, source number two. Rambam is describing his life. I leave for Cairo. Again, the Rambam lives in Fustat, which is old Cairo, about a mile and a half away from Cairo, where the palace was, where the Sultan lived. I, live, I leave for Cairo very early in the day. And even if nothing unusual happens, I do not return to Fostat until the afternoon. Then I am almost dying with hunger. I find the antechamber filled with people, both Jews and Gentiles, nobles and common people, a mixed multitude who await my return. Rambam is returning home, he's hungry, and he has to beg them to give him some time to eat something until he can come and attend to, to, uh, to the crowds that are awaiting him. Source number three continues, I go forth to attend to my patients. I write and write prescriptions and directions for the various ailments. Patients go in and out until nightfall and sometimes even, I solemnly assure you, until two hours or more in the night. I converse with and prescribe for them while lying down from sheer fatigue. And when night falls, I am so exhausted that I can scarcely speak. That is my daily schedule. And I've only told you a little of what you would see if you would come. Rambam, Rambam uh, persuades 
Ibn Tibun to stay home, not to come visit him, saying, if you're going to come, I'm barely going to have a moment to talk to you. My schedule is so tight, is so filled. I must um, be at the king's palace every day, tending to him. And there are just people knocking on my doors day and night for my advice, for, uh, for his um, medical opinion. This is the Rambam. This is Maimonides. And yet, being such an occupied uh, individual, he found time to write a vast amount of, uh, of literature, a vast amount of books. It is probably nobody like him. It's humanly impossible, especially well, as we'll see soon what he, what he wrote. And uh, when he passed on in 1204, he was mourned not just by the Jewish community, but the Muslim community, the, the entire people in, in Egypt for three days until he was eventually, his body was brought up to Israel as he requested and buried in the old cemetery in the city of Tiberia, Tiberius in Israel. Okay, hello Hank and hello Alex or Julie joining. Uh, we just got a little introduction about the life of Maimonides who lived in the second half mostly of the 12th century and we'll see how this relates to, uh, to our lesson today. <clears throat> okay, so Maimonides, now we know a little bit about him, he wrote many books. We're going to focus in on two of his books. One of them is called The Book of Mitzvos. The Book of Mitzvos, it's about, you know, it's one volume. The Book of Mitzvos, what is this book about? Let's take a look in source number four. 600, Talmud tells us, 613 mitzvos were stated to Moshe, our teacher. Moses, the first Moshe, was taught by God 613 mitzvos, commandments, instructions. What is the verse that alludes to this? Where do we see the number 613? It is written, Torah, Tziva, Lanu Moshe. Moshe commanded to us Torah, the Torah. The word Torah in its numerical value is 611 and two commandments were heard directly from God. So let's get this clear. So there's 613 mitzvahs in the Torah. The Talmud brings a, uh, where this is alluded to, the Torah says, Torah tzivalanu Moshe. What did Moshe command us? Torah. This is a famous verse. Torah, 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 Torah tzivalanu Moshe. Moshe, Moses taught us Torah. It's a song that we sing uh, with young children as well, as well as old people, older people. Torah. The word Torah has four Hebrew letters. Taf, Vav, Resh, He. Every letter in Hebrew has a numerical value, has a number. Taf is 400, Vav is 6. Resh is 200, that's 606. And He is 5, that is 611. Moses taught us 611 plus two, which we heard directly from God. Although we heard ten commandments from God, but actually the, the, the ten were said uh, in one second, and we didn't hear them clearly, then God began to repeat them, and he only got to the, two, the first two because we weren't able to handle it, and the Jewish people requested that Moshe should take over. So two were heard directly from God, and Moshe taught us the rest, 611. Torah, which equals 611, was taught to us from Moshe. Because the other two, equaling 613, were heard directly 
from God. Either way, there are 613 mitzvahs in the five books of Moses. But if me or you, you or, or I, would take a, the five books and read through them and record mitzvah after mitzvah, I'm not sure we would get to the exact number of 613. And I'm not sure that our list would be identical because there are many instructions in the Torah. And the question is, which are included in this number considered a mitzvah, considered to be part of this number of 613? For example, the Jewish people are instructed in the book of Numbers how they should camp in the desert. That three tribes should be on the west and on three on the east. And who should, which tribes should be on each, which side? Those are mitzvahs. But is that considered part of the 630 mitzvahs? Because it was only temporary. It was only an instruction for the Jewish people while they were camping in the desert for 40 years. That passed. That's uh, 3,000 years old and doesn't apply to us any day, nowadays. So, and, and such things are, are some mitzvahs counted as, some mitzvahs have a few components to it. Is tefillin that we put on the hand or the arm and the head, is that two mitzvahs or one mitzvah? One mitzvah of tefillin. So, and how you count the mitzvahs has implications and can make differences. And there are, it is unclear what is considered a mitzvah or not. So Rambam wasn't the first, but he was one of the first to list all of the 630 mitzvahs in a very clear and concise way and give a brief description of each mitzvah, who it applies to, when it applies, some mitzvahs are only in Israel, and so on. And he compiled this in a book, took him about a year to compile, it's called the Book of Mitzvahs. And interesting that this was originally written in Arabic because he wrote it for the people of the time. And it was translated into Hebrew, and now it's translated into English as well. This is the book of mitzvahs, the recording of 613 mitzvahs. Now, these 613 mitzvahs, source number five, the mitzvahs given to Moshe. This is uh, the Rambam writing. It's a quote from the Rambam's introduction to another book of his. The mitzvahs given to Moshe at Mount Sinai were all given together with their explanations. Moshe personally transcribed the entire Torah before he died. He did not, however, transcribe the explanation of the Torah. Instead, he commanded it verbally to the elders, to Yoshua, and to the totality of Israel. For this reason, it is called the oral law. As we know, the Torah has two parts to it. It has the written law, which is the five books of Moses, um, which Moshe wrote, and it was dictated to him exactly how, what word, uh, word after word to be written by God. And that's what Moshe wrote before he died. But along with that, Moses was given from Hashem, from God, to give over to the Jewish people the explanations of the written law, the explanations, the meaning, all the details of these 613 mitzvahs that are recorded in the Torah. And we had another lesson uh, discuss discussing that. But in brief, uh, for example, we mentioned tefillin. All the Torah says is you shall put a sign on your arm. Now, what kind of sign? What if I put a stop sign there? What if I... Who says it should be black and square and exactly what should be written and where, it should, where, where, where exactly it should be put? And that it should be with straps and on the head. All the details, those were passed down orally from Hashem to Moshe to the elders to the Jewish people, the explanation of the Torah. The Torah says we shall observe the Shabbos. We shall not work on Shabbos. It doesn't say what is the definition of work. The Torah also says that if one desecrates the Shabbos, there can be uh, a very severe punishment, even death. How can one deserve death if you didn't explain what exactly is the definition of work? You might claim that I'm not working. 
I'm not getting paid. It's not labor for me. What is the definition of work? So obviously, we must conclude that along with the original written Torah came along the oral Torah, the explanations, and we explained in another lesson why it was done that way, why originally it was not written down, it was not recorded to writing. There is the written law, which is sort of like the notes, the codes, and we have the oral law, which is the explanation. That was taught by Moshe. He's called Moshe Rabbeinu, our teacher. He taught this to us. And in turn, for the next many generations, the rabbis, teachers taught their students, who taught their students. It was a teacher-student relationship, not just reading from the written Torah, but under, uh, receiving the explanations of the written law. Before we move further, actually in the Rambam's times, they were, there was a group that began, the Karaites. I think I'm pronouncing it properly. The Kraim. Kraim in Aramaic means uh, those who follow the verse, those who follow the written law, because there was this group who um, did not believe in the oral explanations or the divinity of the oral explanations, and they had their way of understanding the literal meaning of the, or, of the written law. It wasn't exactly literal, but somewhat more literal in some ways um, than, than the oral explanations. They weren't the first. During a thousand years before, during the temple times, there were the Sadducees who had, who had a, a leader named, a man named Tzadok or other groups that, that um, did not accept the divine origin of these explanations. So their tefillin looked different, their mezuzah, and many of the other traditions. Today, I think there's about uh, 30,000, 40,000 of them spread out, maybe, maybe in Israel, in Jerusalem, I believe they have some sort of house of worship in other places, but they're uh, quite small, and it's hard to understand what exactly their um, approach is, their, how, how they understand the written law. But in the times of Maimonides, it was definitely such a group and a very large one in Fustat, where Maimonides lived. And actually, Maimonides moved from Alexandria in Egypt to Fustat to be able to be there near them, to teach them, to guide them, and to uh, guide them to the right uh, and, and proper understanding of the Torah. For example, we mentioned chalent, the Jewish custom, Ashkenazi custom, definitely to have chalent or other Sephardim have other hot foods that they eat, but it's a custom to, to have hot food on Shabbos. Where does this come from? Because the Karaites or the others, following the literal understanding of the Torah said, the Torah says, do not kindle a fire on Shabbos. And they understood it to mean not just not to kindle a fire, but not to have any benefit from fire. You cannot heat up your home before Shabbos or, and, and just let it warm up your house. You cannot have something on the fire from before Shabbos and just remove it on Shabbos. You cannot have hot food on Shabbos. And, and that is not the, um, the, the, the truth according to the oral explanations of the Torah. We're not allowed to put something on the fire on Shabbos and, but, and kindle a fire, but a, an existing flame from before Shabbos uh, hi Diana, an existing flame before Shabbos, if you put your chicken soup on the fire, it can be there even on Shabbos and you had, just have to remove it from the fire and enjoy hot soup. And the same thing with chillant, even Shabbos day, you would put the, in a crock pot or a slow, on a low flame, you put potatoes and some meat, let it sit overnight, excuse me, and as long as it's somewhat cooked 
uh, partial, halfway, or uh, you know, basically uh, edible before Shabbos, it can continue to be on the flame and we stay hot till Shabbos afternoon. So if someone doesn't have chalent, we start to suspect them. Hey, what's going on? Do you do not believe that uh, that uh, chalent is permitted? That we're not. We're, are you uh, are you believing in the oral law? We have to look at and look and investigate. See what's going on with that man or that person. So that's uh, how it became a Jewish uh, tradition to be challenged to prove that we don't just take the literal translation of the, of the written Torah. The, along with that came from Sinai, the oral tradition that got explained to Moshe, all the details that come along with the mitzvahs. So that's just an example. And that is, uh, that in that time of Maimonides, there was a large group that did follow this way. And Maimonides set out on a mission to to teach. A lot of them just heard it from their parents, heard it from their parents, and there was a lack of education. And for one of the reasons why uh, this ignorance came about was, as we will see in the next uh, source, in source number six. So these oral traditions were not, it was actually forbidden to be transcribed. You only, were only allowed to have the written law, the written Torah, and all of the explanations a person can write for himself, but it was not allowed to be formally transcribed and disseminated. Until about, until about um, 1,200 years, 1,400 years later, after Moshe, the first Moses, when the second temple was destroyed by the Romans and the Jewish people were oppressed and further uh, dispersed. And a man named Rebbe, Rabbi Yehuda, he's known as Rabbi Yehuda the Prince, Judah the Prince, the great Rabbi Yehuda compiled many of these teachings, or at least the ones that he felt would be forgotten, and he transcribed them in the Mishnah. Later, the Mishnah was elucidated by the Talmud, and we have this, if you want, I know, about, five, about the year 500 of the Common Era was concluded, the Mishnah and the Talmud together, which is the source of, Jew, of the oral law, the explanations, the traditions, of the, of the explanations of the 630 mitzvahs of the written law. I hope that's clear. But Rambam lived 600, 700 years later, and in his times, as we saw from the Karaites, the Mishnah and the Talmud, even which did transcribe the, the law, it was not so easily understood. It was in a different language. It was written in Aramaic, which was the tongue of the Jews in Babylonia at that time. But now they're already in Egypt. They're speaking a different language. And also, uh, as we see in source number six, how Maimonides himself writes it. The Talmud style is quite complex. There are, there are only a select few who comprehend the Jerusalem and Babylonian Talmud and the other works of Midrash. They require a breath of knowledge, a spirit of wisdom, and much time in order to truly learn from them the many laws of the Torah. As we, so we mentioned Talmud, there was two Talmuds actually explaining the Mishnah, one in Jerusalem that was written by Rabbi Yochanan, one in, the, one in, the Babylon, in Babylon, as well as Midrash, the works of Midrash. They were written in the you know, second, third, fourth centuries. And they were the transcription, the recording of the oral law and, and all the teachings of the, of the sages throughout the history, so up until then. But it was written in code, it was written very, not, not just code, but very, very concise and had lots of depth. And not everybody was able to delve into and had the time to understand and extract from there how to apply the, law, the, the laws of the Torah 
from the Talmud, the Mishnah, into daily life. Because there are questions and answers and debates and not always is it so clear what the conclusion is. Sometimes it seems to be contradictions. Came along Maimonides. Source number seven. Therefore I girded my loins. I, Moses, the son of Maimon of Spain, I relied upon the rock, blessed be he, referring to God who is our rock, who is our source of strength, I contemplated all of these texts and sought to compose a work which would include the conclusions derived from all these texts, texts regarding all of the Torah's laws, all in clear and concise terms. He was the first to do so in such a clear and concise way, leaving out all of the back and forth, the question and answers, uh, the debates and the discussions and presenting them in an extremely organized fashion, very clear in a, in a language that everybody can understand. Bringing the laws of Torah, the explanations of the written law, in a very clear way for, for, the, for the old, for the young, for the more learned, for the less learned, for everybody. Source 8. This will be a compilation of the entire oral law, including... Also, the ordinances, customs, and decrees that were enacted from the times of Moshe until the completion of the Talmud. In addition, in each generation, the rabbis that uh, may have, uh, based on the teaching of the Torah, enacted new um, customs or decrees and that was accepted upon all Jewish people, they included that as well. Therefore, I have called this text Mishneh Torah with the intent that a person should first study the written law and then study this text and comprehend the entire oral law from it, without having to study any other text between the two. Mishneh Torah, the rendition, the, the second Torah. <clears throat> that is how he referred to his book. The repetitious Torah, because you have, or that's the literal term, but it means the, the, the second Torah, the additional Torah, the Torah which is the written law, and then you have the Rambam, you have the Maimonides, which his main book, this is his magnum opus, his, his uh, compendium of all of Jewish law, set out in a very clear and concise way. He called it Mishneh Torah, the second Torah. You read the written law, you have the, 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 the Mishneh Torah, the, and you have all of the laws of the oral law, you know what to do. You know everything Torah demands of a person from A till Z. The Rambam called this book Mishnah Torah. He divided it into 14 books. 14 books, each one uh, another topic. In each book, he divided it into what's called halachot, into categories. Each category was divided into chapters, the chapter into, into sub, you know, uh, paragraphs, with n n uh, numbered, extremely organized. And he set about taking these 613 mitzvahs, dividing them into the 14 books according to their categories, and presenting uh, paragraph after paragraph in each category all of the laws of the Torah. Source number nine, no one ever attempted to author such an ambitious work, so comprehensive and yet so accessible. No one ever thought to claim that their work could be second to the Torah. Not before him and not after him. There are thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of books of Torah that were, that were authored and compiled. Nobody till today ever did something like the Rambam. Not even a team of scholars 
The Rambam did this all by himself. He locked himself for 10 years, he writes in a letter, for 10 years consecutively pondering and, and examining all of the texts of Mishnah, Talmud, Midrash, and he came up with this compendium, with this, uh, with this um, code of Jewish law. It took him 10 years, and for the next few years, he fine-tuned it and, and uh, uh, edited this book, and finally, in about the year 1180 or 1181, it began to be publicized and spread out, and this became, for hundreds of years, the, the source of Jewish law. Later came other codes, but not as comprehensive um, as the one of Maimonides. The story is told that from a reliable source, legend that when Maimonides concluded 10 years of writing this book, his father, Maimon, who had passed already, appeared to him with another man. Maimonides was frightened and his father said, This is Moshe, Rabbeinu. This is Moses, our teacher, who has come to see your work. And Moses told him, Yasha Kochacha, thank you, be strong, thank you for your work. The work of Maimonides has the haskama, has the sort of the consent of, of Moses, our teacher. Moses, uh, the first Moses wrote the written law, and Moses, Maimonides, wrote or compiled the, the, writ, the oral law based on the Mishnah and Talmud and Midrash in a very clear and concise manner. Okay, this is how this connects to uh, our lesson today. As I mentioned in the beginning, uh, we can take one more look here at a picture which is attributed, uh, you know, they say, they say that this is uh, what you looked like, some say it's not, but either way, Maimonides, the Rambam, um, I, I, I studied this set of books. Uh, he has other books. He wrote The Guide for the Perplexed and other things, but this is his uh, magnum opus, definitely. This is what he's most famous for, the only book he wrote in Hebrew. And many have a custom to learn this book daily. I have done so uh, for the past three years. There's a thousand chapters, 1,000 chapters of, during these, of these 14 books. He's searching volu 14 volumes. I learned a chapter a day for the past three years, and this past Thursday I concluded it. And um, that's why we are learning about Maimonides today. Why did I choose to learn one chapter a day um, of this specific book? Let's move on to our third section here. We can turn the page over. We can definitely understand now why by his grave, which actually by his grave, there are 14 pillars. I've been to his grave uh, a couple of times in Tiberia and Tiberias. There are a beautiful, I believe it was the 1920s, uh, uh, somebody put up this beautiful, excuse me, um, pathway moving, to, uh, leading to his grave and his father's grave, 14 steps and each step there's, there's the pillars and uh, each pillar is another book, uh, another volume of, of this uh, Mishnah Torah, this uh, book of Jewish law that Maimonides composed and authored. We can definitely understand now why they wrote on him, from Moses to Moses, no one arose like Moses. Moses taught us the written law and Moses brought to us up front clearly the oral law in a way no, no one ever did before him and no one ever did after him. We do have Shulchan Aruch, Court of Jewish Law, but that does not cover all areas uh, of, of, of the oral law. Okay, hello Vicky and uh, hello everyone that just joined. We are, you can download the, the, the follow along, the source sheet. We are halfway through. 
Oh, well, see the clock is ticking, so we're gonna move along here. Sorry about that. In our third section, why did I choose to uh, learn this? So in, in the year 1984, in 1984, it was uh, getting close to, it was right before Pesach, Passover, Maimonides' birthday. We know exactly when he was born. He was born on the eve of, of Passover, you know, and a day definitely uh, associated, connected with Moses, uh, who brought the uh, God's messenger to bring the liberation of Egypt, the night of Passover, shortly, right at that time when it's, it's, a, it's the afternoon before the, the holiday comes in, the 14th day of Nisan, after midday, Maimonides is born. And according to some opinions, he was born in 1135. So in 1984, it was 800, getting close to 800, uh, beginning the 850th year uh, since Maimonides was born. And countries all over the world were celebrating, uh, making a big fuss over this. I believe in Granada, they printed uh, stamps with, a, with this picture, with this... Um, illustration of, of Maimonides, um, I think it was in Israel that they printed the thousand dollar, the thousand out of shekel with a, with a picture uh, of, of Maimonides as well as many uh, symposiums around the world uh, studying Maimonides' work, discussing Maimonides' work. Uh, many of Maimonides' works are in museums around the world. If we have time, we'll talk about it later. And it became a big a big uh, fuss, it was a big uh, discussion. We say, it was, it was a talk about Maimonides. And the Rebbe, our Rebbe, Rabbi Lubavitch Rebbe, Rabbi Schneerson, came up with a suggestion during a few days, uh, during the last day of Pesach at a Fabrengen. And he says like this, source number 10, one of the ways to achieve this unity, the Rebbe always spoke about Jewish unity, to unite Jewish people, one of the ways to achieve this unity is when all Jews unite to studying one area of Torah. All Jewish people to study one specific area, one uh, book of Torah. While there are mystical explanations for how doing so achieves unity, because the Torah is the source, Torah is connected to all of us, and when we all connect to Torah in a specific part, section of Torah unites all of us, it is also quite practical. When many people study one subject, they can discuss and analyze the matter together. They're all familiar with the same idea. Although they may differ in how they understand the subject, the discussion will nonetheless lead to affection and friendship, similar to the Parsha. We all read the same Parsha every week. It's all, you know, any Bar Mitzvah or any Kiddush you go to will mention the Parsha. Everyone's familiar, everyone's studying the same Parsha. So when we all unite with studying a specific area of Torah, that brings unity, it brings friendship, it brings discussion. That is an advantage of studying something together, anything. Source 11, the Rebbe continued, there is a special advantage in achieving this type of unity by studying the Mishnah Torah of Maimonides. By studying Mishnah Torah, one will fulfill the mitzvah to study all of Jewish law in a complete manner. There is a mitzvah to study Torah. There is a mitzvah for us to study the entire Torah, all of Jewish law, those that apply to us, those that don't apply to us. Even if we're not living in Israel and certain things only apply in Israel, it's not just to know what to do, but this is the will of God. This is the wisdom of God. And we, when we study God's will and wisdom, we connect to God in a very deep way, not just practical. There's something about learning what to do, and there's something about studying. In yeshiva, we spend years studying. It's not just 
how to put on tefillin or how to observe Shabbos, but it's also the ideas behind it and the wisdom behind it. So Maimonides is the only book which is so comprehensive, it includes the entire oral law. So Jewish unity can be achieved by studying any portion of Torah together. But when we study the Mishnah Torah, we are also all going to be fulfilling in a short time the mitzvah of studying the entire Torah. The written law we all, the written law we learn uh, every, every week, we study the Parsha and every year we conclude it on Simchas Torah. And here we'll be studying the entire oral law. Even the Mishnah, just the Mishnah doesn't have everything. There are certain things that are not included in the Mishnah. They are brought in Talmud, in Midrash. So therefore, the Rebbe says, Source 12, I am suggesting that it is worthwhile for everyone to resolve to study a daily portion of Mishnah Torah in a way that everyone studies the same topic each day. This study cycle is for all Jews, irrespective of their education, synagogue membership, or level of observance. Jewish unity must include everyone. And the privilege to study the entire Torah is one that belongs to all Jews. So both of these apply to everybody. And the Rebbe came out with a campaign that we should study Rambam, we should study the Mishnah Torah, and do so collectively, do so in a way, in a yearly cycle. And he gave three, uh, three ways, three levels, three, three uh, paths to choose. One would be to study three chapters a day. There's about a thousand, there's a thousand chapters and an introduction and a thousand chapters. That's about a little less than a year, a few weeks short of a year to conclude the entire Mishnah Torah. That is the ideal for those that are knowledgeable and able to, to get to that, to do that, to have the time. For those that have less time, they can study one chapter and finish it over three years. I once, you know, I've been doing this since I'm 13 or so. One time I did three chapters a day. The past time I did one chapter a day. Now I began uh, one chapter, three chapters a day once again. I concluded in one in less than a year. And then the Rebbe gave a third way, a third um, method, third path to learn the Book of Mitzvahs. Because in the Book of Mitzvahs that we mentioned before, it doesn't have all the details of the law. But it goes through all 613 mitzvahs and gives a brief description of each mitzvah. That is another book of Maimonides. And they can follow along with those learning one or three chapters, also concluding it in one year. This was the Rebbe's suggestion. And this was accepted, this was received by many worldwide with great enthusiasm. This was, it was a worldwide um, uh, fuss and, and, and excitement about uh, Maimonides and his life and his works. And they began studying. They began studying every day, three chapters, some one, some this, the book of mitzvahs for children even, or, or, or others that uh, don't have time, or they translated the entire uh, book of Maimonides, the Mishnah Torah, into English to others that don't have, understand Hebrew yet or could read Hebrew, that uh, could also join in. Mary Rickman has it here in the library. And that's how it began in 1984. And since then... It's been, uh, we just began the 40th cycle. For those that learn three chapters every day, it's the 40th year, because every year it's like a couple of weeks short of, short of a year cycle. This has been going on. We study the oral law again and again and again, and we get familiar. We bring Jewish unity, and we become educated in all of the laws of the Torah. Let's conclude this section with one more anecdote that the Rebbe 
spoke about. So there are 14 books, 1,000 chapters, but within these 14 books, the 1,000 chapters are divided into 83 groups, 83 categories of Jewish law. For example, one category is the laws of Tefillin and Mezuzah. One category is the laws of Shabbos. One category is the laws of Yom Kippur. One category is the laws of marriage. One, the laws of divorce. 83 categories of Jewish law. One is about kings and wars. One is about um, sales and acquisitions. 83 laws. 83. What is the significance of the number 83? Source 13. The number 83 corresponds with the numerical value of the Hebrew word for illness, machala. For by learning Torah in general, and Mishnah Torah in particular, we will be blessed with divine healing. This becomes an even greater motivator to engage in this study cycle. The 83 categories of law that Maimonides divided into, the number 83 is the same numerical value of the word for illness in Hebrew. Machala. Machala means a sickness, a illness. Mem, ches, lamen, hey. That's 48, 35 equals 83. When we study Torah, when we study the Mishnah Torah, all these 83 categories of the oral law, we will be granted divine healing. Healing from all sicknesses and illnesses, physical and other kinds of ailments. This, the Rebbe says, is another motivator to, for us to engage in the study of Maimonides, which is a study of Torah, the study of the oral law, the study of the traditions handed down from generation to generation back to Moses from God at Mount Sinai. Moving on to our final section, why this is a reason for celebration. It's not just an achievement, but it's a reason for celebration. This has been a Jewish custom to celebrate when we conclude studying a book of Torah. I remember as a child in Cheder, in elementary school, every year, you know, grade one, grade two, grade three, grade four, you start learning uh, Chumash, you start learning the Torah, Genesis, Exodus. Uh, the first year you learn one portion, one parsha, the next year two or three, and you slowly, slowly get through the books of the five books of Moses. It can take a few months till you finish one parsha. I remember a seven-year-old, eight years old, every time he finished a parsha, a portion, it was a big celebration. We would count down the days when we would finish it. And uh, I remember one teacher, whenever we would finish a, a, cla a class, uh, our class would finish a parsha, we would all get in line, and we would, we would parade through the schools. We were allowed to disturb all the other classes. We would go into every classroom and dance around in a circle, you go to the next classroom, you would bring, it was a joyous occasion, we finished a Parsha, we finished learning a Parsha of the Torah. And for children, that's a, that's a big uh, achievement, one Parsha, or for anybody, if that's an achievement for them. It's not about how much, it's about how much effort went into it, was invested. We all had a chance to bring ho from home some goodies, a snack, and everybody, we had a party. Uh, a siyum was called the siyum, this, the conclusion, the celebration of concluding something in Torah. And we look forward to learning more and concluding another book. This is, till today, I believe, practice in, in Jewish schools, that we not just have a graduation when we finish elementary school, but we have a graduation, we have a celebration. Every time we conclude 
a, the study of something, um, a book or a portion of Torah. Where does this come from? Source number 14, the Talmud tells us, really a, the quote from the Mishnah, there were no days as happy for the Jewish people as the 15th of Av and Yom and as Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur and the 15th of the month of Av. It's coming up next month. We have Tisha B'Av. A couple of days, six days later is the 15th of Av. There were no days that were so happy for the Jewish people. I mean, Yom Kippur, I could, we can understand. And that's what the Talmud asks, actually. Granted, here you have. That was a quote from the Mishnah. That there were no days as happy for the Jewish people as the 15th of Av and Yom Kippur. Comes the Talmud and elucidates. It asks. Granted, Yom Kippur is a day of joy because it has the element of pardon and forgiveness. We feel cleansed, we feel forgiven, so it's a day of, of joy. However, there is a gift from God that we can be forgiven. However, what is the special joy of the 15th of Av? What happened on that day that's so special that it was such a joyous day for the Jewish people? Concludes the, continues the Talmud, the 15th of Av was the day on which they stopped chopping down trees for the arrangement of wood that burned on the altar. The altar is the Mizbeach that was in the temple where the offerings were brought up. They needed to have fire. They needed to have wood. And they had to have pure wood, you know, good wood that did not have any worms in it. It was not wet because then it, wouldn't, it would make smoke and it wouldn't burn nicely. Excuse me. So during the summer months, from, uh, from spring, from Nisan, from Passover time, until the 15th of Av, about uh, four and a half months, that is when the sun was, you know, and especially in Israel, doesn't rain too much in that season, that is when the sun was baking, it was very hot, and the trees, the wood was very dry, and wouldn't get warmy, and, uh, you know, wet. And that is when they would chop the wood for the rest of the year, uh, they would store it in the temple and they would and then they would examine it make sure there's no warm and make sure it's proper and So after four months or so of chopping wood on the 15th of Av, that is when the, the days I guess at that time sort of uh, get significantly shorter and It's not as hot and, and that's when they stopped so that became a joyous day Well, well there are all the there are other opinions in the Talmud, but this seems to be the uh, conclusion in the Talmud and that was the primary reason for the celebration on the 15th of Av. That is the day that they concluded <clears throat> preparing, chopping the wood for the usage of the altar for the rest of the year. And because they concluded on that day, when you conclude something, you can conclude a mitzvah, preparing for a mitzvah, it was a great joy. It was great celebration. It was so such a celebration like Yom Kippur. And there were no happy days for the Jewish people like this day. Concluding a mitzvah. Source 15 tells us, Rabbi Shlomo Luria, the Marshal, this teaches us that the day on which we conclude the study of a Torah book is a festival. For their, for, of course, an for that person. Or for the community, for those joining that learning. For there is no greater mitzvah than completing a book of Torah. This is especially so if one intends to begin a new Torah book shortly thereafter. We're not just concluding the learning of Torah, but it's also the beginning of, of a new cycle of, of studying Torah. So, you know, many synagogues will have 
um, a, a shear. They'll have a, they're learning a specific book, a specific tractate of Mishnah or Talmud, and when they conclude that. They will have a suda, a special meal, a special celebration, a special, uh, you know, a special meal. It's called a suda, mitzvah, a special siyum, finishing this book. And, uh, and it's not just uh, for those celebrating, for those concluding, but it's for the, also for those celebrating with them. You know, we find this similar by the Torah itself. Just like when it comes to a tractate of Talmud, which is oral law, or any book, the same thing is the actual Torah, the five books of Moses. Well, well, when do we have the greatest holiday, a big holiday? Simchas Torah. What are we celebrating on Simchas Torah? We're celebrating the conclusion of the public reading of the Torah. And we're starting again. Even every book, we have a special Shabbos five times a year when we finish reading Genesis, the last portion, Vayichi, we all stand up. And we say, Chazak, Chazak, Venis, Chazay. Let us be strengthened. And it's a custom that we have a special Kiddush. It's a special day when we conclude one book. When we conclude all five books, we have Simchas Torah. We're dancing in the streets with the Torah. Why? Because we concluded the written Torah. And what do we do right away? We finish the book of Deuteronomy on Simchas Torah. And right away we go straight to the beginning, to Genesis, to Bereshis. Even though we're only going to read Bereshis fully, the next Shabbos, Surah 16, it is appropriate to rejoice when we complete the Torah. And it is customary to immediately begin again from the very beginning of the Torah. This prevents the prosecuting angels from alleging that we are finished with the Torah and do not want to study it anymore. We're not having a graduation, that's it, forget about school and throw away all the textbooks. We finish the book and we're going to study it again, we're going to study it deeper, we're going to study it better. Every time, again and again, the, the Torah has depth that uh, is etern- that is uh, endless. We can always learn more and more. Says Abaya, source 17, Abaya, one of the later sages of the Talmud, may I receive my reward because when I see a young Torah scholar who has completed a tractate, I make a celebratory feast for the sages. The joy is, is a mitzvah, not only for the one who concludes the book, but for others as well. When we see somebody else, we can join in the celebration. So even for those that didn't study Maimonides' books yet, can still join in in my celebration. It's not just my celebration. There are thousands and probably hundreds of thousands of, uh, of Jewish people around the world that take part in the yearly cycle, the yearly study cycle of Rambam, whether this book of mitzvahs or the three chapters or the one chapter. This is a great celebration. <clears throat> So, with the remaining few minutes, I will actually make the the conclusion. We will take, we will read the last paragraph of the Mishnah Torah and the first paragraph, and um, that is the next few sources. Source number eighteen, the last category of the eighty-three categories of Maimonides' uh, compendium of Jewish law, the Mishnah Torah, is the laws of kings and wars and of Mashiach, the times of Mashiach. Of the future, it's the goal, it's the end, it's the, it's the ultimate, it's when all of the lo- those laws, many of them referring to the temple, will come back into effect. And he writes, there, In that time of Mashiach, source 18, there will be neither famine nor war, neither envy nor rivalry, because there, that's what's good will flow in abundance, and all the delights will be freely available as dust. The occupation of the entire world will solely be to know God. That will be our pursuit. 
just to study the wisdom of Torah, to connect to God, and to learn more. Everything else will be taken care of. We won't have to work. We'll have everything just there for us. And that will be our only pursuit. That is how Maimonides concludes the, the, the book and he brings the verse after that God's wisdom will fill the world like the waters cover the, ocean, the, the bed uh, of the ocean. That is how the knowledge of God will fill the world in the times of Mashiach. And let's go right away as we conclude straight back to the beginning, the beginning of the first of the 14 books with the category of the 83 is the category of the Yesodea Torah, the foundations of the Torah, uh, <clears throat> the important beliefs. <clears throat> and he brings source 19, the foundation of all foundations. And the pillar of wisdom is to know that there is a primary being who brings all of existence into being. All the beings of the heaven and earth and what is between them came into existence only from the truth of this being. First mitzvah that he brings and elaborates on is the mitzvah, the first of the Ten Commandments, to know that there is one God, that there is a God who creates all the beings and continues to bring them into existence. And to conclude with the final source that Maimonides says to know. He doesn't say to believe. Belief, faith is, I believe. I can't prove it to you. I can't tell you much about it. But this is a tradition. This is our belief, which is a great step, a first step. But beyond that, Maimonides chooses to use the word leida, to know. Knowing is not just to believe, but you are convinced. It is personal. That is the word Rambam chooses to use. And the Rambam is, by the way, his word, his right, his um, language is referred to as Lashon Hazav, the golden tongue, being extremely precise and um, careful with his wording. Source 20, the Rebbe teaches us, we need to attempt to comprehend the articles of faith that have been passed down to us. When we do so, our relationship with God becomes more integrated with our personality. It's not just something beyond us. It is something that we need to strive to build on that faith and bring down that faith into our minds. We're given a mind to comprehend, of course, to attempt to comprehend how much we can with the abilities given to us and the material given to us to delve into, to examine, to try to make this faith become part and parcel of our uh, beings and personalities. Okay, so that uh, pretty much sums up our lesson for today. We looked at Maimonides' life a little bit. We looked at some original letters that he wrote. Amazing how such a busy person was able to accomplish so much. We looked at his works, mainly the Sefer HaMitzvahs, the Book of Mitzvahs, recording the 600, the correct list of, according to his opinion, of the 613 mitzvahs, and his book of the Mishnah Torah, <coughs> the Code of all of Jewish Law. Moving on to the cycle of study that the Rebbe initiated and encouraged, and it is practiced today by many, many around the world, men, women, and children, in one of the three uh, paths, one of the three, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Channels. 
And moving on to importance of celebrating. And the Rebbe, now that we're concluded, I could just elaborate a little bit. The Rebbe encouraged, it was 1985, when it was time for the first siyum, the first celebration. The Rebbe encouraged worldwide celebrations, mass uh, gatherings, uh, celebrating the conclusion of the collective learning of the Mishnah Torah of Maimonides, especially in those cities where Maimonides is connected to, starting with Cordova and Spain. If you go today to Cordova and Spain, they have the Rambam Plaza, Maimonides Plaza, where he lived, I believe, uh, where his, I guess they know where his house was, where his father's home was, Maimon lived. They have a uh, statue there, a, a sculpture of, of Maimonides with this, with that, with this uh, illustration of him. Uh, so to make, they had the celebration done over there, as well as in Fez, in Morocco, they have the house or the, or the synagogue where he lived or, or, or studied. In Fez, in Morocco, to do it there. They had, uh, in, in, um, in, by his grave, in Tiberia, as well as even in Egypt, even in the 80s, as well, I'm not sure till today, but definitely more than once, they were able to uh, get permission for a delegation of Chabad uh, Hasidim to go, I think, from Israel to, to Egypt, to Cairo, or now it's really old Cairo, where till today there is a synagogue, one of the most ancient synagogues that are still standing today uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Fostat, which is uh, an old Cairo where Maimonides was. I think they also have it in Alexandria. And uh, over there, where Maimonides studied and the actual building where he was, <coughs> for the seum, for the celebration to take place as, as well over there. Uh, great, and, and a lot of interesting stories how uh, they had, how they were able to get that permission to, to get into Cairo. But Maimonides was definitely uh, known, even by the Muslims, they called him, uh, they have a name, uh, uh, something Obadiah, because Maimonides' family, one of his grandparents, grandfathers was Obadiah, Um, interesting that <coughs> today we have many of the original manuscripts handwritten by Maimonides. The story of, uh, it's called the Cairo Geniza. Geniza means like um, holy papers, holy uh, papers or uh, manuscripts, anything that had some Hebrew writing on it from Torah or, other, or, or even just written in Hebrew shall not be uh, discarded and they should be buried properly they have a special place in a, in a cemetery Jewish cemetery for these things old Torah scrolls and the like and in Cairo or in Fustat where the synagogue was in the 9th and 10th 11th century the 12th century um I believe they actually re they recently restored this uh, the synagogue uh, for tourists so you can come. I don't know if it's actually in use every day, but so they had over there like a uh, room where people would drop in there these kind of manuscripts that that should be buried, and there was no door to the room. It was just like a big room with a window on top, and you would just open the slot and drop in. And it was piled and piled there for, for uh, a thousand years, more than a thousand years, since the ninth century. And the late, uh, the end of the, what was it, I think the 1890s, 
they began to uh, different people began to take things from there and sell them around and and I think it was Solomon Schechter from, from uh, Cambridge University in England that they went uh, to Egypt and they, uh, they got permission. They, they took everything out and they began to study them and publish manuscripts from there. And many, uh, actually, Midrash, different things that were quoted in our books that we didn't have the originals or full text were, were brought were from there. Close to, I think, like 300,000 manuscripts were found in this massive storage of old manuscripts and many of the things there were from Maimonides, original writings, uh, some from the original Mishnah Torah that we're talking about, letters about his brother to his brother or drafts and different, you see the Rambam's editing and, and it, it's available today, you know, you can go online, geniza.org and you can see these manuscripts, uh, Jewish manuscripts, handwritten, uh, now they're you know, all over different uh, different uh, museums around the world, and they're being studied. Not just Jewish people, a lot of other professors that study the works of Maimonides, his, his uh, treaties on on uh, medicine. He has t- ten ten um, writings. Uh, I don't know what they're called <clears throat> uh, on on uh, medicine and health, as well as other great, uh, interesting, and fascinating manuscripts from Cairo, as well as um, his his explanation, his commentary on the Mishnah. We have almost all of it in the original handwriting of Maimonides over 800 years ago. It's just amazing how it was preserved. And uh, you can see it online or visit uh, Oxford University and uh, universities in Israel to, I think, here even in, uh, in New York somewhere, they have some of it in different museums of Maimonides' writings. <clears throat> Okay, so today's lesson was a personal one. I was very excited to, con- to uh, conclude this achievement of studying the work of the oral law over three years. Uh, con- we concluded on Thursday, and on Friday I began uh, three chapters a day. So in less than a year, we hope to be finished that. And everybody is welcome to join. It is something for, it's a good thing. I would suggest starting with... Uh, Sefer HaMitzvahs uh, takes about a year <clears throat> to go through the 613 mitzvahs with the description of the Rambam. It's available in English and it's a very easy, easy read. They even have an app for it on any Play Store, in the, on, the, on, a, on a, what are they called, uh, on a, the Apple Play Store or the, for, for a Samsung, for an Android. You can go and just search Daily Mitzvah, Chabad.org. Daily Mitzvah, the app will come up, you'll find the text there, you'll have a video of someone explaining it, a short video, a couple minutes, explaining the Daily Mitzvah, or audio, uh, check it out, Daily Mitzvah, search it on, uh, on the Play Store, uh, download the app, and we just started, so you can join along, and in less than a year, we'll have you'll be able to have this achievement, and make your own celebration, of concluding the entire book of mitzvahs and learning all 613 mitzvahs knowing the 613 mitzvahs from the Torah as well as a brief explanation for them and you'll unite with Jewish people you will be more educated and fulfill the mitzvah of learning the Torah as well as have that extra source of blessing as we mentioned associated with the number 83 and from there You'll, learn, you'll move on one step at a time. So I invite you to check it out and uh, join the 
join the cycle and connect to Maimonides. Maimonides may have passed on at 1204, 816 years ago, but he continues to live on by us studying about him. I'm going to sign off here. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Have a wonderful um, rest of your week. And sei gesund. Hope to see you next week for Lunch and Learn number 99. Ooh, we're going to get close to number 100 and we'll have a big celebration. Uh, take care. And I hope you enjoyed as much as I did.